Check, 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 one, two. Welcome to the Dispatches from the Scandamaniac podcast. I'm your host, Captain Ryland Johnson. Uh, my guest today is uh, Robin. Robin, can you do us a favor and ring the ship's bell? <laughs> Woo! There you go. Um, all right, Robin, I guess I've, you have, I, so I have a list of potential guests and you have been on it from day one. That's um, flattering. Yeah, I, well, I, you are, you're one of my favorite people in Yellowknife in that uh, you are aware of many hats, I would say. You I are, wear you, all of the hats. You definitely <laughs> wear all of the hats. And I'm kind of like in a similar boat in my life in that like I run into people from one setting and they're like, what, I didn't even know you did this, you mm-hmm. know? So this, uh, sometimes it's a negative to just, you know, be doing too many things at once such that your sure. identity is nine things as opposed to one. But sometimes it's the beauty of Yellowknife, just, yeah. to, you know. A little bit, which is, it's kind of funny because I've lived in Yellowknife now for 12 years, but I didn't exist in here for the first 10 years. Interesting. Wow. You've had a really coming out in the last couple of years. I have. Yeah, yeah. I moved here straight to university. So I was 26 years old. I was newly married. I came up here specifically for a job to work in the school system. Yeah. And I lived in the marriage bubble. I lived in the teacher bubble. And so I didn't do anything. I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't have friends. This is, I basically opened a vein into my career. Yeah. And then my marriage was a very insular place where I wasn't encouraged to go outside and, and can make other connections. So I lived here for 10 years and didn't know Yellowknife. In fact, I didn't like Yellowknife for the longest of times because it wasn't fulfilling me in lots of different ways. This is one of my fears like I actually use that word in that I know that there's these people like what you're saying who come Mm -hmm. to Yellowknife they work one job like whether it's pilot nurse teacher bureaucrat whatever Mm -hmm. you know and they have their little life and then they just think Yellowknife's like a shitty northern town and then they leave and that's their perception and it's like I I got this largely from Jelaine Demogorski being like um like showing people like there's so much going on you and as soon as you tap into it it's like it's overwhelming how much is going on absolutely and i had no idea it was such an, an dynamic and diverse place because yeah. i i lived in this sh- this weird quiet place where i didn't leave my couch i basically went from work to my home and then back again and it was it was fine until it really really wasn't yeah. No. And so around the time that I ended my marriage and I had to reinvent myself, because at this point I have I have two small children. Yeah. And I have this career that I'm very much locked into and I was no longer married. So I moved out on my own and I thought, oh, fuck, well, now what? Like, now what? I, I live here and I'm now on my own. And so I have to find a way to make peace with Yellowknife. And then I got to sort of recreate my relationship with this place. And I'm really glad I did. Yeah, well, it's neat, and that's probably exactly kind of when we started to get to know each other because our circles Can I tell the story about how you and I met? Because it's one of my favorite Yellowknife stories. Of course, of course, stories. it's great. Okay, so I don't know if you remember this, but I had just been on my own for a few months, and I'd made a few connections through work. And so Jelaine was just starting to sub at my school, and um, my friend Kelsey was teaching alongside of me, and that's basically all I really knew for work. And so I messaged both of these women, I said, hey, it's Friday night. There's nothing going on. I need to get out of my apartment. What can I do? And so Jelaine messaged me. She says, well, I've got stuff tonight, but I heard my friend Ryland has a party tonight and then they're all going out to the show. You should message him. Yeah. I'm like, all right, whatever. So I, I sent you off a Facebook message and I think she included us in a, a group chat. And I said, hey, I hear you have stuff going on. And you're like, yeah, come on over. No problem. And so you said, I'm going to be out, but just walk on and there's people there. 
Yeah. So I drive myself to your place. I walk in the front door and I don't know a goddamn soul. I don't know <laughs> nothing in there. But there's a bunch of people sitting in the middle of your living room playing Scrabble. And I'm an English teacher. I fucking yeah, yeah. love Scrabble. <laughs> Scrabble's my jam. I, and I've got I a love Scrabble too. I've got a bottle of whiskey in one hand and I'm like, hey guys. And I sit down and I start to play Scrabble. I pour everybody a bottle or a glass of whiskey and I start to trounce them. Like <laughs> <laughs> I decimate everybody there. I'm pulling out like 40, 50 word, you know, point words. And so I'm making conversation, having a lovely time. You're still nowhere to be found, not that I know you at all. Yeah. And so somebody Typical looks Typical Rylan inviting people to their house and I'm not <laughs> even there. And so somebody looks at me and they're like, so how do you know Ryland? I'm like, well, I actually don't know Ryland. In fact, <laughs> I don't know anybody here. <laughs> and they're like, oh, okay. Well, I'm like, nice to meet you. And so I ended up hanging out with you and all of your friends and having a lovely time. And then we all went dancing together and I was in. That's all it took. Yeah, exactly. So it's oh. it's a great dichotomy or no, a great uh, microcosm for, for Yellowknife. You just show up and you're in. That's what it takes. Well, and I think it's because there's like so many newcomers or whatnot that like everyone's just open. They're like, oh yeah, cool. Come on over. Absolutely. Like... But at the same time, we're also super skeptical of newcomers here, I think. I, I... Because they're such a transient population that we're really reluctant to make new connections. Because you latch onto somebody, you're like, oh my god, you're amazing, I'm excited to know you. And then they're gone six months later. And I'm really trying to avoid that. I Like, I'm a, you know, I've only been, I've been here four years now, and I see that creeping in, but it's like, I don't want to be the person who's like not willing mm -hmm. to like introduce someone into like whatever it is. Absolutely. Which yeah. is why I'm sitting here right now, because <laughs> yeah. you let me go to your house and play Scrabble with your friends. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. And it's, it's all history till then. Um, okay. And I, I guess kind of building on this theme of, uh, well, I, I didn't actually know this whole part about the, like reinventing yourself. I, I, it's very interesting. And, and can you kind of talk about why you think like, I, I I don't know you well enough, but I would say who you are now and mm -hmm. what you're doing is like who you should be. It's just so clear to me that yeah, like, yeah. you are living your true self life. The difference between me now and me three years ago is so bizarre because I was a ghost. Yeah, I, just... especially in my last year of my marriage, I stopped speaking. I wow. hadn't laughed in years. I had no identity. I was deeply unhappy as a person because I was in a very controlled place and I wasn't able to really extend myself and express myself. And so when I, I emerged from that, I thought, okay, well, who do I want to be? What is important to me? Who, who am I when nobody else is watching me? Yeah. And that was incredibly exhilarating. And so I started my philosophy, and I've got it on a button on a bag somewhere that I had made for myself. It's my, my life goal is to say yes to all the things, I, <laughs> everything. Yes. Yeah. If there is a show, if there's a play, if there's a talk, if there's a concert, if there's an anything to be done in this town, I'm fucking there every time because who knows, who knows what opportunities will bring to me, who knows what path it's going to take me down. And so yes to everything. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's, it's, I, I've had that when I first moved here, I was in the very same boat where I made friends with Jelaine and I was just like, she, we became best friends because I was just, yes. She'd like, Hey, do you want to do this? It's like, yes, I don't even ask what it is. <laughs> just show up. And it's like pretending like you're going to know what it is. is just like, who knows? Like, yeah. you know, sometimes you meet someone and it's like, who cares if you didn't like the show, you make a new connection. And it's like, I am so grateful to know her because she was very much that person for me as well. She yeah. just said, you know, Hey, do you want to? And I was like, yes, absolutely. Every time. <laughs> 
And so, I mean, I'm now affiliated with the, the Creative Collective and yeah. the Northwest Territories Creative Collective is such an exciting group to be part of. I'm a big believer that you need to create the community that you want to live in. Because the reality is, is that if I could move back home, if I could go, go back to the Maritimes, yeah. I might. I miss my mom. I miss my dad. I'm not seeing my, my nephew grow up. I, I miss all of my family. I miss my ocean so much every day. But the reality is that I have two children that I share custody with. Yeah. And he is never leaving this place. And so I, I'm here for the next 20 years. This is my home. And so if this is the place I need to be, what is the place that I want to live in? What are the characteristics of a, of a home for me? And if other people aren't doing it, I better because, yeah, I create the place I want to live in. Yeah. And that's like a fundamental philosophy of mine. And, and this podcast is about like curating space, like a one-on-one -on -one space. But yes. then, and I think even the creative collective is about this. It's like, then you take those skills and you can bring them up. And it's like, I'm curating a 12-person event. No, I'm curating a 100-person event. Oh, now I'm just curating what I want my community to look like. Mm -hmm. And it's like, especially in Yellowknife, there's all of these great overlaps. And before you know it, like, you just have resources everywhere because it's like, hey, I know this person who does X and I know they're just willing to help. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I love how it just, like, grows and it spreads out from, like you know, you taking the initial, initial step of like, you know what, I'm going to go play Scrabble with some strangers. And then just, <laughs> boom, it grows. And I think that there's such a culture of yes in this town because it yeah. is just us up here. We don't have anybody else. And so we need to find a way to get along together. And otherwise you don't last. Yeah. And so when I was first, because I'm a teacher and I was originally a high school teacher, I decided that I wanted to create a school environment that I would have wanted to go to. And that was, was big for me. And I, I kept having people say yes to me. I'm like, I want to run student council. Yes. I want to take my students on these crazy adventures across the country. I kept having people say yes and give yeah, me yeah. money. I want to take people to Spain. And so I took a group of students to Spain and people kept saying yes. I'm like, oh my gosh, where does this end? And so then when I you know, started emerging on my own and same thing, I said, well, I want to create a place where I can write and celebrate poetry. Northward shows up and says, yes, I want to create art with grownups and have us paint in color together. Creative Collective says yes. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely whatever you want to do. There's like a, you know, people are like, yeah, sure. Like, mm -hmm. go, go do it. Um, I'd like to talk briefly about schools and education, um, a topic I wish I knew more about. But the other day I was reading this article, I, I'm not sure if you saw it, it was about how schools in Nunavut, when they become community centers, the attendance rate skyrocket. Mm. And also they uh, stop burning down and it's a problem in Nunavut. They can't get insurance <laughs> for their schools because sure. arson's a problem. But um, And I have been navigating this um, through Makerspace and trying to, like all of our schools are you know largely empty evenings and weekends, mm -hmm. not as used in summer. We have these multi-million dollar workshops or wood shops in my case is what I'm really looking for. Sure. And I and I I have been in your school. I've been in your classrooms because you have like been like, no, we have these art resources and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And maybe if you could just kind of talk to the politics and whether there's like a shift of that or how much you've kind of explored that space. Sure. Because it was really interesting to me to when be I read that. Completely fair. I mean, I, I have been a teacher now for 13 years. And so I my professional hat goes on for a second. Yeah. And I speak more carefully. Yeah, no, of course. <laughs> that's that's fair. <laughs> that is my professional identity. And so I've been working for YK1 now for Yeah, for put 12, your policy hat on. My policy and, hat on. And, and I'm, I'm objectively talking policy of the pros and cons of opening schools up to more 
Absolutely. You know, because the, the pushback I always get is, oh, there's liability concerns. And to me as a lawyer, I'm like, what are, you, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, we want to go use the art room. What That's you... right. Kids are more likely to hurt themselves crawling around in the bush with their friends drunk yeah. than they are in an organized activity at our school. Exactly. And so when I was part of Sir John Franklin High School, which I is the reason I'm in the North, I came here not for uh, an adventure, for a teaching job. I came here to work at Sir John Franklin High School. I was, I graduated from UPEI at the top of my class. I graduated with all of the scholarships, all of the awards. And Sir John Franklin High School is my number one choice of schools in the country. Oh, wow. And I couldn't believe that they hired me. I couldn't believe that Mika Cameron said, yes, we want her on our staff. That was yeah, yeah. the dream. And so when I was there, I loved that school because they... They wanted to create a community. They wanted to create a safe place so kids aren't making mistakes in each other's basements or getting themselves hurt in the bush. Yeah, yeah. And so Sir John Franklin was very good for that. And I think to a certain extent they still are. I certainly wasn't the entirety of that. And I've, I was only a teacher there for five years, and I've been now at the middle school ever since. And I think that middle schools are missing an opportunity because there are 12 and 13 and 14-year-olds in grades 7 and 8 who who want community who want a place to yeah, connect absolutely. and so they're bonding with each other they're they're creating attachments with their friends but we're not acting as a catalyst for a safe space to have that happen yeah and so part of that is because middle school and elementary school teachers are desperately overworked yeah that i mean that's completely fair and it's ridiculous to ask the teacher who has a full-time job to then oh can you give up your evenings and weekends mm -hmm. to create a community space it's like that's all second job before i had a family that was fine i mean i yeah, was yeah. i was young i had lots of energy i didn't have the obligations i would open a vein for my school and that, that's what i was happy to do but as I, I get older and i have more obligations now and i i don't i just i haven't connected with my school in that way and been able to provide it with those same opportunities yeah but I, I to be i like i don't think that should be really your job is what i'm mm. saying it's a whole other job it's like a second position you know yes. of like community after school coordinator like you know i agree <laughs> i would love to see the, the ece take that on because i mean i know that my administration and my school support team is doing everything they can to meet the needs of our students between the hours of 8 a.m and 4 p.m we we give everything that we can but i think these buildings yeah they're they're safe places they're places where kids feel connected and and safe and we should be able to bring them back in and we're not doing that yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there's just, I mean, there's there's so much potential for schools to just become, like, public space where people can do things. And, mm -hmm. like, you know, there's they just, it's, we have this infrastructure. Anyways, this is a side policy. Event. But you, you talked a bit about, before you're answering that question, you're like, I put my teacher hat on and I get sure. more cautious. Um, Can you talk to me? This is something I live every day in my life and that mm -hmm. I'm a lawyer and I deal with a law society who obviously lawyers love rules and it's like I, I my code of conduct and my like my professional law society rules are like hundreds of pages very specific and obviously that makes complete sense and I understand that but it's like then I go live a whole other life where mm -hmm. You know, I have a podcast where I talk about, you know, sex, drugs and rock and roll and whatever else, <laughs> you know, like, um, and so I'm always like, I would, I'm always cautious if anyone asks me anything legal. I'm like, I don't, I don't talk about that. You know? Sure, of course. <laughs> I'll talk about anything else in my life, mm -hmm. but not, not, let's not talk law, but, uh, and it's interesting for you. Like a teacher is different in that, like 
you're so public. Like we are a public teaches. servant in all of the ways. Yeah, like we you, are. We are everybody's parent. I have 14 yeah. children that I am helping to raise eight hours a day. Yeah, so much. And so with that comes a certain amount of responsibility, but also that comes with a certain amount of stigma. Yeah. And that we are are supposed to uphold ourselves to a different standard every hour of the day. Yeah. And so I have interests that don't fit into conventional norms that people look at me. I mean, I'm, I'm an unconventional teacher in a lot of ways anyway. I mean, entirely from a surface level, I have purple hair. I have visible tattoos. I have facial piercings, yeah. which would never fly down south. You yeah. know, I, I teach in my bare feet and I... Fucking A, you know, way I, to own it. <laughs> I do all these things and I, I, I sometimes get in trouble for these things. But at the same time, I believe that I'm, I'm always acting in the best interest of the children. But to what extent do, am I a public servant and can I have a private life as a teacher? Yeah, and that's a... <laughs> it's a really hard question because I am being examined all of well, the time. And in Yellowknife, it's like, what extent can any of us have a private life, you know? Like Absolutely. If I, if I lived in Montreal, like, I would be a lawyer and no one at work would ever know that, like, you know, I go to a sex club on a weekend because it's like, I could keep those separate. It's like, you can't keep anything secret in you Yellowknife. You can't. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I've, I've had these crazy circumstances earlier on in my career where I've had co-workers, colleagues, um, um, loose friend associates screenshot my my Facebook page, my personal Facebook page, yeah. and send it to my employer. Yeah, They've sent it to my principal, to my district, to parents, saying, look what your teacher is doing in her private life. And so I've, I've had a hard time defending that. And my, my you know, support team has had a hard time supporting me through that because that, that line is so blurry. I, especially for a teacher. I think part of that, Oh, it's so annoying, too, because I imagine that, like, we have this standard response to which it's just not catching up. Like, everyone goes out and does things on their personal life and they have a private life that, you know, you don't want to bring into work. And then mm -hmm. social media has made that more accessible. And then when an employer gets that, I think there's this culture that they feel obligated to do something like it mm -hmm. would take a strong employer to be like. Like, if I got that, I would respond, why are you sending me this? This wasn't in the classroom. Stop snooping this person. Bye. Absolutely. Like, that would be my response. Because it's too. like, like, fuck off. You're just trying to create an issue that's not there. Like, unless this is happening and affecting the classroom, like, mm -hmm. stop making an issue out of and it. And I'll still never know who these people were oh, who know. deliberately tried to take down my life. Well, no... Thank goodness I've risen above. I've been able to salvage my career, but it has created almost insurmountable obstacles for me professionally. But at the same time, I refuse to live a life that is not authentic because yep. my students can smell bullshit a mile away. If I try to walk in there wearing a Navy skirt and sensible shoes and, you know, talking about policy and procedure, they're going to smell that on me and they're never going to respect me. I walk in there and lay myself on that whiteboard every day. I'm like, this is me. These are my opinions. I'm going to take you on this amazing journey of learning. I am a flawed human being, but try to keep up and we'll figure this out together. Yeah, I remember. And this is, I, I think, teachers and so many humans like discount how much children pick up. Um, mm -hmm. I remember Michaela Robertson was on this podcast and she was talking about how her son like was like four years old like came to her and was like mom you're feeling anxious and then she's like thought about it and she's like she didn't know like the kid picks up on it so that's like a <laughs> four-year-old and it's like mm -hmm. we all like put on this act around children and it's like 
I know I can now look back in hindsight at my teachers and be like, that teacher was clearly going through some shit mm -hmm. and they kept trying to like pretend to be a certain way. And it just was like, it screwed up the whole vibe of the classroom. It you does. Know? I actually have a funny story from this week. Yeah. I'm, I'm a grammar file. I love grammar. I could teach nothing but Shakespeare and grammar every day of life and be very happy. I'd give me syntax and comma splices and I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm happy. Anyway, so one of my students was learning about sentence structure. And so I gave him a sentence starter of my teacher is awesome. Yeah. He had to create a compound sentence using a coordinating conjunction. And he said, my student is awesome, but she often looks sad. And I'm just like, what, how, what? <laughs> and I've been going through some personal things this particular semester and he sees it every day. Even though I go in there, I'm a Muppet. I'm like, let's go learn. We're doing fractions. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. But they, they see us. Of and course. I, I want them to see us because I want them to know that I don't need to wear a Navy skirt and be, you know, wearing, you know, sensible shoes in order to be respected, in order to be interested, in order to have something to offer to them. And if we're not teaching children to like, you know, navigate social interactions that involve humans being legit and real and real feelings, like, well, like, why would we not be teaching that? Like, right. this is like fundamental part of the human experience is you know agree. how to assess how someone's feeling and react it's like you know emotional intelligence 101 but while <laughs> authenticity is incredibly important to me at the same time i'm like to what extent can i really be myself in my private life and because uh. there's there's interests that i have and there's there's opinions that i have that I would never share in my classroom because it's not appropriate. No, and that's but... completely fine. I'm not like, I, you know, I, if someone came and tried to talk to me about sex at work, I would say, what are you doing? Like yeah. this, we don't do, I would push back even harder against them because it's like, you don't do that in a professional setting. Mm -hmm. But then for them to like, <clears throat> take your private life and be like, well, you can't do it outside of the professional setting. It's like, no, it's, that's my private life. We all exist and have to have private lives. And so I've been slowly stepping into this, this experimentation of being more public with my private life. Yeah, because I, I know you have, you've been owning it. I love it. <laughs> and so one of the things that I do is I'm a poet and I love writing poetry. I love performing poetry. You give me a microphone and I will, I will spin off some verse for you. But a lot of my poetry is, is based on sex. It's based on open relationships. It's based on alternative perspectives about sexuality. And I'm holding a microphone and presenting these ideas and explicitly talking about, you know, cocks being shoved down my throat. And there could be parents or children's parents that I'm teaching sitting in the audience. And yeah. I, I had to make that conscious decision of saying, if this came back on me, could I defend this? Do I feel strongly enough about my right to do this, to be able to take this on should it come back to me in the right I, It's a huge question and decision, and it takes a lot of self-confidence and ownership to, you know, even if you think you're right, it's a whole other to then do it and be willing to, like, defend it. Like, is it worth the hassle? Mm -hmm. And I, I've seen you own it. And... <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. I'm, I'm lucky mm -hmm. enough that Yellowknife has a, a sort of liberal enough personality and, and culture that I mean there's people reading poetry all the time we've got the Northwards event coming up blush that I am see every year where we do a whole evening of erotic poetry and prose I know and that was my thinking like if you're at the erotic poetry night and you're mad that the the teacher's reading like well what the fuck are you doing at the erotic poetry night like don't go you Absolutely. know and it's yellow knife you if you anyone goes to the erotic poetry night out of someone they see they're gonna have some professional relationship <laughs> with and like I dealt with this as a lawyer where it's like I just like I didn't like having clients everywhere because that's like a case like I had to like be like oh I can't be in this interaction you know mm -hmm. and it's just 
but like that's Yellowknife. Everyone is so connected. But at the same time, there's still parts of myself that I'm not willing to necessarily put out in a public forum. No, you don't have to own everything. I mean, yeah. this is Ryland's oversharing podcast where I, <laughs> I will, share I will everything. Overshare in all of the ways. Yeah, but, but I mean, you one, don't have to. One aspect of myself that that's really really important to me is I am very much an openly polyamorous person. Yeah, and this is an important part of my identity in in how I love and conduct myself in love. And so this is still something that I'm having a hard time bringing into my workplace. Not that I'd ever talk about it with children because children don't care. Although they like to come up to me and say, are you dating so-and-so? I saw you with this girl. What's going on? Like, it's super cute. But at the same time, with my colleagues even, I'm reluctant to say, yes, this is one of my partner. And yes, you saw me on a date with somebody else. And yes, I, I, you know, got drunk and went home with this other person this night that we were out. And so... I'm reluctant for them to know about that because there's still such a stigma that shouldn't bleed over into the workplace, but it could. Yeah. I don't want to be taken seriously as a professional. Yeah, that's fair. I also think like, there's like, it just puts with anything that's kind of pushing the envelope or progressive, like the onus then gets put on you to like explain it and justify it. And it's like, I'm in a polyamorous relationship and the person's like, hesitant and then you have to be like okay well here here's the ethical slut like here's opening <laughs> up like go read a fucking book and then we'll talk like you know there's exactly so much work and effort children think it's I, like oh my gosh do the the children don't need to know or care <laughs> yeah, and th- yeah that's the the absurd thing is they're like in that case they're being offended on behalf of the children it's like no the children don't care you are just like in an uncomfortable position <clears throat> and so they're not you the the person is mm-hmm. reacting and they're uncomfortable and it's like but this is always the debate. This is like, is it worth the hassle? And you have owned this. And you're mm-hmm. like, it's it's a lot of work to A, be polyamorous, and then B, <laughs> tell people, and then C, like, be a teacher. Like, Absolutely. the combination is just like... And so, I mean, then there's... Mm-hmm. I know that there's a lot of teachers who have done things like burlesque. Yeah. But at the same time, I know every teacher has wrestled with this idea of, to what extent can I strip? Yeah. Can I go down? Can I show my breasts? Can I wear pasties? Is this appropriate for me in my professional life? Yeah, and it's, I, I mean, I think it's appropriate that we're having these conversations and debates. And it's also very nice to be in Yellowknife where, like, hell, I, I like, I struggle. Most of the professional women in my life have done burlesque at some point. Like, mm. it's an institution now that has, like, opened the door. It to is a so status many... symbol. It is a mark of pride at this point. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I, I felt the same way in, like, owning my, like, BDSM thing. It's that, like, I went to so many burlesque events where, like, people mm-hmm. were just, like, bringing out kinky things and talking about their adventurous sex lives because the people who are doing burlesque usually have pretty fun sex lives. Like, you know, there's a bit of a correlation. Mm-hmm. And then it's just, like, there's such ownership in, like, Yellowknife. It was just, like, it made me feel very comfortable. Whereas if I was being a lawyer down south in another jurisdiction, it's like those... You wouldn't dare. Yeah, it you wouldn't, wouldn't, dare. wouldn't even cross my mind. And like, I, I'm, I'm myself a kinky person. I, I involve myself in the BDSM, uh, BDSM scene. And again, I'm just like, oh, what what if? What if one of my, my students' parents are there? What if somebody is there who tells somebody who tells somebody? Who, God, yeah, only, exactly. it's such a... Is it a risk? Is it a risk? To what extent can I be hold accountable, held accountable for for who I allow to flog me at a party in my friend's house? <laughs> I know, and that's the problem is that it's like, uh, it's uh, there's just people who are they're 
they think that the right thing to do is to then persecute you mm-hmm. or get you in trouble. Like they, they're acting out of what they think their moral belief is, is that you do that so you're a bad person and you can't be around children. And it's like, there's just, <laughs> there's a huge gap in their causal chain that mm-hmm. like you've owned something here and it's screwing up you being a teacher. And it's like, what? I can still teach about the virtues of Atticus Finch and to kill a mockingbird <laughs> and, I... and get spanked at a party. Who no, are you? Exactly. <laughs> and it's like, I, the people who are better teachers are people who have like come to terms with a lot of their identity and have come to own things in their life and have genuine passions that they're willing to explore. And it's like allowing people to be themselves and find authenticity and be better people makes better teachers. Like, that one's just, like, to me, the causal chain is so clear. Like, encourage teachers to be themselves and find their passions so that, because people like learning from passionate people, you know? I agree. I couldn't imagine having to walk into a classroom every day and pretend to be somebody else. Wouldn't that be exhausting? It it is exhausting. Well, you must, even for you, it must be exhausting for, I mean, being a teacher, (laughs) like, well... (laughs) Well, I mean, being a teacher in in general is exhausting. Sure, I, I... give everything I can to my classroom, to my students every day. But at the same time, I, I have to be myself. I made that decision very early on. And I just, I want to last in this career. I love it. I love what I do in all of the ways. And so if I'm going to last, I have to be able to be authentic. Yes. Amen. Amen to that. Amen. And uh, yeah, I'm, I've been in a similar, similar kind of, I mean, Yellowknife, I think just does it to you. It, it's, I, that's why I love this place. So I love Yellowknife and that like, you just start to realize like, oh, wow, there's so many other people around me just doing exactly what they want and being exactly who they are. It's like, well, why aren't I doing that? Like, why was I hesitant? And why did I think I had to fit into this, you know, social norm that's like Victorian era? We're like, all a bunch oh. of misfits and weirdos up here. Exactly. It's one of my favorite it's things about Yellowknife. Let your freak flag fly. <laughs> um, I guess the other thing I kind of wanted to talk to you about is so... We touched on it a bit is this wearing many hats, but also what you are doing with your art and what it means to your building community. And I kind of I like when you talk about your writing and I like when you talk about your art and what it's kind of done for you in relation to what you're saying, like being your true self, allowing yourself to express just when I had Jelaine on the podcast, we talked about art a lot because Mm -hmm. I, I do like. Art to me is so much more about, it, it, I think to anyone who's, I hate talking about art because you sound pretentious, but like, it's not about the end product. There's just this process of like getting in touch with your true self or mm-hmm. like channeling into something. So if you could kind of just talk about your my writing, art, your poetry, relationship. your relationship to art. I, I'd I, like to talk about visual art first, yeah, if that's course. okay. So I, <laughs> whatever. Um, I've, I've had this weird experience lately where people have been stopping me on the street to say, hey, aren't you the girl who makes the stick figures? Yeah, have yeah, you, that's what, yeah, 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 I know, I know you're. So um, I have an Instagram account, which is, is called robin.scott.heartwork, H-E-A-R-T work. And um, it's the strangest little, little series of stick figure, very simplistic illustrations where this poor little bastard is having terrible, nefarious things <laughs> done to his heart. And, um, that origin stories is a little bit ridiculous because I was traveling through the mountains with a friend of mine who I was deeply in love with. And the whole conversation as we were traveling into the mountains was about how we couldn't be together. And yeah. it was incredibly painful for me. And as so 
as a form of self-regulation, I like to draw because I, I do, I live I, with an anxiety disorder. And so to keep myself calm and grounded, I, I keep my hands moving. I disappear into my artwork. Yeah. But the problem is, is I was deep into this place where I was drawing a lot of birds and, and bird imagery and bird cages. And I'm trying to draw a bird cage. But if you've ever been in the mountains near Jasper, um, the roads are just like, and trying to draw bird cages with straight lines is yeah, impossible. Yeah. Technical drafting. And I'm like, let's keep it simple. And so I, I just drew this funny little little thing of this stick figure laying on the ground with their heart ripped out and laying just out of reach. And somebody's walking away and the stick figure is still reaching for them because that's very much how I felt in that moment. My heart had just been ripped out, but I was still reaching for this person. Yeah. And so I was amused by this and I'm just like, okay, Robin, you just, don't take yourself so seriously. You just need to play with this emotion, live with it, be in it, pay, you know, honor it and give it space. And so I drew this little stick figure and then on the next page of my sketchbook of somebody floating a heart like a balloon above them, even though their heart had this gaping wound in it. I'm like, teehee, this is fun. And so then my partner who's sitting next to me is like, hey, could you, could you do a thing where they're like, I don't know, setting their heart on fire when they're exploding their heart, where they're cutting it up like firewood. Yeah, and I'm yeah. just like, oh, let's see what happens. And so I started drawing this series of stick figures. And for me, it has always been a form of self-regulation. These stupid little illustrations take me 15 to 20 minutes to draw. Yeah. And if I'm feeling particularly anxious or stressed out, I can draw one of these. And by the end of it, I'm in a better place. And so living with a mental illness, that's been an important strategy for me. But then I started posting these on Facebook because, you know, to show my mom or whatever. And then yeah. people started liking them, like really liking them. And they're like, hey, could you um play one uh, or draw one with a guy playing hockey with his heart? And I'm like, oh, let's see if I can do one. Or, you yeah, know, yeah. throw in a, a playing, playing fetch with their heart with a dog. I'm like, I don't know. Let's see if I can do that too. And I have over 150 of these little fuckers no, now. No, I've seen them all. <laughs> I like them a lot. <laughs> They're ridiculous, but they make me really happy. And so, um, yeah, I did my first art show at NAC last month, and then I'm starting to sell them and, and do illustrations. I have a very dear friend of mine, one of my comet partners in BC, is a, a wonderful spoken word poet by the name of Bassam. And Bassam is doing a book of micro poetry. And so they've offered or asked me to illustrate their poetry oh, with wow, my artworks. That's and so, so cool. I get to publish these little buggers. People are always saying to me, hey, you need to make a calendar, you need to make a book. I'm like, no, 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 that's weird. But I like them accompanying somebody else's words. Yeah, I think yeah, that would bring great. a good balance to it. So that's going to happen. And so, yeah, people have been stopping me on the street and saying, hey, aren't you the girl with the stick figures? And I think it's delightful. And one of my favorite things was when I had this big display up at NAC is I liked creeping people looking at them because I'd yeah, stand yeah, in the yeah. background I, and I, I, I liked watching that. people's faces going, oh, and this and oh, oh, did you see this one? And I'm just like, ah, oh, look what they're connecting to. And that makes me really happy. So about half my stick figures are from my own life, but the other halves are other people's stories. And I, I like watching people engage with those stories. And that's been a really gratifying thing. And I don't, I don't know if they'll ever turn into anything marketable, but who cares? Who yeah, that, cares? No, that's, what was, that's not the point. I love that. I love the, that whole story. It has a great little, like, you know, origin of where it came from and it, like it brings real emotion into it. And then like, I know so many people who've like, detached from their creative side for god knows what reasons mm -hmm. and i have good friends who like are amazing artists and they stop drawing and it's just like mm -hmm. but like it, it, drawing or creating as like an a tool to like cope with anxiety is like it's among the best out there like you, you know it's so just like 
raw and i i think that comes through in in doodles like it's that's the thing they're, they're doodles and they're, they're beautiful. so simplistic i've but taught my students to do them i can yeah, have a 12 great. year old replicate these these yeah, are yeah. not complicated but at the same time it's all about the the origin and the connection so if they're they happen to be mine if they happen to be anybody else's i don't care that's that's great and so that's one aspect of my creative life but i also have my painting life yeah. and my painting life is is something that I was uncomfortable with for a really long time because I've, I've always felt like an artist. I've always had creative inclinations. I've always been able to reproduce things fairly well, but I never did anything with it. My parents separated when I was quite young and they always had this promise of, oh, we should send you to art school. But then parents divorce, there's no money. I live in poverty for a long time. And so that was never an opportunity to me. And so then when I was starting to leave my marriage and I said, you know, I need to start doing things for myself. I enrolled in an art class here in Yellowknife for the first yeah. time. And I'd always been an artist without creating art. Yeah, yeah. And so I am enrolled in um, Dancing Ravens, Dancing Raven Studios is a, a group here in Yellowknife and it's done, run by Shauna Lampy Leisure and a Ligari. And she offers painting classes and so I, I took the chance and I spent 200 bucks and went to her painting class and all of a sudden I realized I was able to make my hands and my eyes connect in really significant ways and it was pretty easy for me and I thought fuck this is this is fun I wonder well, if I can do this. Why haven't I been doing this? <laughs> my hands just all of a sudden were, were doing things that felt disembodied from the rest of me and I would stand back and go how how did my brain know to do this how did I create that light? And I don't try to, sp to think about it too much. It just happens. And so painting for me is exciting because as I'm standing back and looking at my work, I think I have the capacity to be really good at this. I don't think I'm really good at this, yes, this yet, but I think I have the capacity to be really good at this someday. And so taking small steps for myself to get better has become really important. Yeah, and I imagine it's very satisfying. Like, it's great you know, measurable self-growth and yes. something you're passionate but about. But it's embarrassing to me to sometimes <laughs> sell the things I'm creating now yeah, because I'm, I'm just like, oh, but I'm going to be so much better in five years. <laughs> Buy for me in five years. But I did take the risk and I, I did do this art show at Knack and I sold a couple of paintings there and, and people seem really happy with the, what they purchased. But it's just made me want it more. Yeah, that's super amazing. Um I, I, take, I took a few uh, art therapy classes with Natasha Duchesne. And the thing about mm. art therapy is it's really not about the end product. But it's I think it's it's based in artists, like, having that moment where you're, like, what you were just talking about. Like, how are my hands and my head and my eyes doing this? Yes. Like, you know, it's that, like, split second where it just works out. And you're, like, wow, there's this seamless thing that I didn't know I could do. I and did the same. Like, I took classes with Natasha as well. Yeah. And I was so grateful for those opportunities because so often I'm a realist painting and I, or a painter and I like to be able to create things that look like life. But she was able to push me and say, no, Robin, it doesn't need to look like what you're looking at. It needs to look at look like what you're feeling. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's great. What? What? What is this? OK, look at my hand. Go. <laughs> yeah. And it started happening. And I was very grateful for that. I'd like to do more of that. And when you tap into that second, it's just, ah, oh, it's so good. Mm -hmm. And uh, last week we did a, a, I was talking to Dave Cox about this and he did a drafting 101 workshop, which is very, like drafting is as technical as you can get. But he like, he talks about these moments when it's just so satisfying to connect the lines. And it's like, it's the same kind of art therapy thing where it's like, 
that <laughs> you know the end product's not there it's just that moment of like oh wow like mm -hmm. i got this it worked out mm -hmm. it's so good it's For such me, it's a good little standing moment. back especially when i'm doing art yeah, therapy the i like oh, to work uh, big like i love working big anyway it's it's sort of my jam is i would love to paint the side of buildings i want to do entire billboards and so when i'm, I'm in an art therapy course i always work big and i just let my emotions guide my hand and then when i stand back and think that's what this looks like um so makerspace has a proposal to put some sea cans with cloudworks into the pop-up park you know where mm. that there's that james wedson meal i was now? Is that the one that's between the Gold Range and yeah, the Raven? Yeah, I was exactly. just there making fun of it yesterday. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. Against... No, no, no. I, I think that that space has a lot of potential that's not yet been realized. Oh, you mean the I mean. ugliness of the space. I thought yes. you were making fun of James Wedson's no, mural. No, no, no. Was that like, was, I really that's like, beautiful. That was, no, wow, that's beautiful. I'm... But I think that there's a lot of ugliness still in that park. And well, I think it it's needs the to be typical Yellowknife spring where it was covered in snow and now people... Anyways, Absolutely. so we're moving in there. Hopefully, we got to get a contract from the city, but we're going to kind of try and continue a similar theme to the murals for our sea cans. So we should talk. About, we should talk about running a mural workshop, and we want to do it as like kind of a workshop, kind of fun. You know, everyone come out and that would be exciting I, because I think that public art is incredibly important. And we yeah. had obviously a resurgence of a public art at one time in this town. Yeah, but I haven't seen a lot of it since I've been here in the last twelve years. There's yeah. I, well, there's been like what three or four pieces maybe that's been added they to the could landscape. Do more large scale like commission works. I, the city does what it can with its budget. I really like our transformer box painting thing. Me it's, too. It's amazing and it's like a perfect example of if getting I was here ten year olds. And, I would do that. I would yeah, absolutely. And do that. I know all sorts of people who would not consider themselves artists and all of a sudden they apply and they get in and they're like they have a public existence. How you know? exciting is that for yeah. them? That's so good. So I, I I shouldn't the city does what it's But you're right, it's one of those things where like we don't value the you know spending $25,000 on a piece of public art. How could we do that? It's like, we spend... don't tell them this, but I'd probably do it for free. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, yeah, we'll get into a complicated debate there, but we'll try and find you some money for the painting the sea can mural project. Okay. I'll write a grant. <laughs> but I, I think that, I think that there's an opportunity for public art here because there, I mean, absolutely. In Whitehorse, we're always comparing ourselves yeah, to Whitehorse. Fuck Everybody, White Horse. fuck Whitehorse. I completely agree. It's so polished and pretty, yeah, and it's like we're going to Banff. Exactly, exactly. It's the same thing. Like comparing Canmore to Banff, it's a totally different creature. But at the same time, I think that Whitehorse does have their artist community done right. Absolutely. And um, so they're putting a lot of money and time in public space into it. I would love to see more public art sculpture and construction and, and more big installation pieces, especially since so much of our of our years spent under snow and ice. I think that the three dimensionality of, of constructed art would be really special here. Yeah, and I'd love to see more investment there. Well, and we're also like the North is home to some of like we have the greatest carvers in the world. And mm -hmm. like there's a lot of like great soapstone carvers specifically are getting recognized and their pieces are selling for just amazing money. And it's like, you know, why don't we have some front and center like focal northern artists carving beautiful sculpture absolutely like I mean, like, the that's completely worth the money the beautiful piece that we have by tebow before he passed away yeah, is a exactly. great example of that yeah, that's yeah. now iconic with the yellow uh, Night exactly, downtown exactly and so we should be supporting artists like tebow and saying here we're going to give you what is fair to be able to create something really beautiful for our space mm -hmm. i would like that very much and i'd love to be part of that someday 
one day when I'm good enough, yeah, yeah. which is no. going to happen. <laughs> Amen. I believe in you 100%. Thank you. Um, okay. And the last thing I kind of talk about, so the whole reason I started this podcast is it's a couple of reasons. One, I, I've always had, and I framed it as social anxiety, but I think it's more that I just didn't really like the small talk that happened at parties and the kind of like standard model of conversation where you drink too many beer and you bullshit about nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't even think I have social anxiety because I really enjoy talking to people one-on-one actually, but it, it was just. I, years I, I would stand at parties kind of on the outside looking in and be like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know how to join this bubble. Oh, you're and speaking enjoy. my language right now. I know exactly <laughs> what you're saying. Yeah. Exactly what you're saying. At least I think so. Yeah. I mean, I thought I was an introvert for most of my life. Yeah. But what I've since realized since being on my own is that I'm an extrovert with social anxiety. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so I love being around people. I am excited to be around people. One-on-one, I'm fine. Two, you know, two-on-one, put me in a group of four and I'm fine. The second you put me into a range of people that's like between five and 15, I am a fucking mess. <laughs> I, I'm like, where am I supposed to be in this conversation? Who am I supposed to talk to? Does anybody notice that they're not talking to me? Like, ah, I don't know what to do. And I, I'm living with an anxiety disorder that becomes really debilitating for me. It's yeah. not knowing how to fit myself into social situations that I desperately want to be part of. But then again, if you put me in front of a microphone and put me in front of a hundred thousand people, I'd be fine. Yeah, I'm. I, I, I've never had an issue public speaking. Like it's mm -hmm. not. It's a weird to say I have social anxiety. It's like I love public speaking. I it's love funny. public speaking because it's about performance, it's yeah. not about relationship. Yeah. Um, but yeah, very much that interpersonal connection and relationship is still very, very hard for me. Um, I first realized I had a social anxiety disorder when, or a general anxiety disorder in my very early twenties. And I started having panic attacks. I didn't know what they were. And, and I put myself into therapy to try to figure out what they were. And I became very agoraphobic for a lot of my years in university where I just, if, unless I knew exactly where I was going, who I was going to interact, what was going to be a result oh, of that situation, wow, that's I couldn't so do it. so fundamentally opposed to your current, like, yeah, just say yes. Absolutely. Philosophy. That's so neat. And that's something I very much had to cultivate for myself yeah, as yeah. a coping strategy. And so I, I went through all of the therapy. I worked on cognitive behavior therapy strategies, and I was yeah. able to overcome that in lots of different ways. But then I, I put myself into a marriage where I didn't have much of an identity for myself. And so when I had to emerge from that, I, again, was very much faced with crippling social anxiety again. But I said, you know, well, what's the option here? I can still loan in my apartment or I can fulfill all the reasons I left in the first place. And so I've had to work really hard to overcome that, that, that limitations of living with a mental illness. Yeah, and it's, I, I mean, you're, <laughs> you, you are a prime example of a person who's like, you know, identified your mental illness, you've, you know, you seek proper things, and now you talk about it openly, and you own it, and it's like, yeah. it's inspirational when well. I hear you talk, and I like, for but you, but it's really fucking hard, <laughs> I know, but, and it's funny, but for you to say like, oh, I have a social anxiety disorder, it's like, what? You do? Yes. I've never noticed that ever with you or whatsoever. The funny whatsoever. thing is last Saturday, I went to a party. Yeah. And so this was at the homestead and uh, down in Old Town. And it was, there was a, 
invite that you sent out. That's right. Yeah, because it was another party. I was so Did you even go to that party? To... Did you end yeah, up there? I, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, you ended up at the party. Okay, so I, was, you... I had the bus there and I was That's ripping right. out seats like a crazy person. So you sent out this invitation and I thought, you know what, Robin, you're about to go into this year where I'm not working as a teacher next year. I'm taking a year off or, or I'm changing my career path in some way. And you've been very, I've been living very much in an insular bubble this past winter. I've allowed myself to just focus on my art, my writing and my children and working on a lot of those issues. And I said, I'm about to go into this year off where I'm going to have to put myself back into social situations that make me very, very anxious. Yeah. I need to start stretching those muscles again. Yeah, so absolutely. when you sent out this invitation, I thought, I don't know any of these people, which means I need to go. Shit. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and so same thing i walked into this household and i said hi guys i don't know anybody here i had very briefly met um will from who yeah. who lived there but i met him for all of 30 seconds and so i just sort of sat down and said hi who are you what do you do that was so uncomfortable for me i didn't want to be there at every opportunity i wanted to run away but i thought no this is important oh, no, this is I, important yeah. no i saw you talking to people that just never would have even occurred to me and this is like that interesting thing about like the, you could never really tell when people are coping with the, you know some sort of mental illness because it's like just because of the fact that you have figured it out and there's lots of coping mechanism doesn't mean it's not very real thing for you, you know? absolutely i work really hard because i, I respect yeah. my life i think my life is important i need to be able to have a good career and be a good mother and be a good friend and in order to do those things i need to keep my shit together i yeah. cannot fall apart i cannot disappear into depression i cannot freak out at work and have temper tantrums i have to do these things and so I've developed this repertoire of, of coping strategies that are really hard, <laughs> but they're important. That's, the and good so, yeah, ones are always hard. You know? They are. And so I showed up at this party and I was doing self-talk the entire time. But I made it until almost midnight. And yeah. I was super proud of myself for being there the whole time. Oh, that's great. Even if I was older than everybody else by a fucking decade. <laughs> it was so weird. And I find myself in that situation a lot lately. I don't know if it's just Yellowknife or the fact that I have a lot of energy and I go out and do everything, but I find myself in room with 25 year olds a lot. And as somebody who's turning 40 this year, that's fucking weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I try it, not to focus on It happens on age. in Yellowknife a lot, mm -hmm. but uh, there's just as many good examples of Yellowknifers who are like, you know, 40, 50 and they're at every event too. Like, I think Yellowknife's good at being like, whatever, what's age? You Absolutely. Know? I also know a lot, know a lot of 30-year-olds yeah. who look 50, who yeah. act 50, who, you know, don't go out and do uh, things and look miserable with their lives. Mm -hmm. And I refuse to be that. I run into students sometimes who I taught high school to back, back in like 2007, 2008. They come back to me as adults and some of them try to sleep with me and mm -hmm. some of them are just excited to see me. And, which might be the same thing. Anyway, but some of them will look at me and like, hey, Miss Stewart, how you doing? Oh my God, you look so much younger. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's because I'm happy. <laughs> I, uh, that's, yeah. I, Wade Carpenter is another one of those guys who's like, I oh, I, I love Wade. Wade's 45 or something, but it's like, nice. I see him at every event and he has like all of his students, like, you know, he taught mm -hmm. high school for years here or like, at the same mm -hmm. events with them and whatnot and he talks about this all the time just like running into people they're like i guess like you're just my friend now because <laughs> what is age in Yellowknife? at some point like we're all just it's going a to real the snow thing. castle together you know it's a real thing and so yeah 
being able to to have the longevity of being here for 12 years now i have this weird situation where it's coming back around yeah yeah can i tell that's you i'm going to i'm going to tell you and your listeners a really embarrassing story yeah of course okay. that's perfect that's exact <laughs> that's the whole point of this podcast actually so i had a, a really embarrassing event where it was my what i call my anniversary anniversary so my anniversary it was the first year i'd left my marriage it would have been my 10 year wedding anniversary and I wasn't married anymore. I had three partners who was all very open and ethical and non-monogamous. And it was a lovely situation. But they, they were very comfortable being separate from each other. Yep. And so I said, you know what? This, this wedding anniversary of mine that I would have celebrated 10 years. And we were planning always to renew our vows in 10 years. So it was a big deal for me. I said, I need to go out and just do something stupid on this day. And so I'm going to wear a white dress. We're going to go sing karaoke. We're going to go dancing at the range. It's going to be fantastic. And I'm just going to go celebrate my freedom. And so I asked all of my partners to go with me and being very respectful of themselves and of me, they all said, yes, of course, we'll be there. And so we all go to Hot Shots first, of all places. <laughs> and so they all sit down together with a bunch of my other friends, and they all sort of introduce themselves, shake hands, and buy each other beer. And I'm like, oh, this is so lovely. Happy Polly moment. <laughs> and so, but I, so I have a lovely time. I sing karaoke. We go down to the range, and we're all dancing. And at this point, I've had way too much tequila because it's my wedding anniversary date. And I thought, you know, I just, I really want to make out with somebody. I really, really want to make out with somebody. But I can't choose one of my three partners <laughs> because they'd feel really jealous and ex or excluded. And so I'm like, fuck, what am I going to do? I just, I need to do something about this. And then all of a sudden, one of my former students, <laughs> who I helped go to summer camp once when he was 15, walks up to me. He's a 23 years old at this point. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, oh my God, Miss Stewart, it's you. Like, you're my favorite teacher and you're so hot. I always had such a crush on you. Can I buy you some tequila? I'm like, yes, you can. And so he buys me some tequila. We cheers. We have a lovely time. And at which point I take pause. I look at him like, you follow me. Ha! <laughs> We go into the back alley. 23 year old. Oh my God. And so we go into the back alley. We make out ferociously. We're like, we're fucking teenagers. We have a great time in that back alley. At which point I sort of pat him on the head and I go back inside, completely sated. <laughs> Way I'm to done. Go, Ms. Stewart. <laughs> anyway, so I wake up the next morning. I'm like, oh, drunk Robin, what have you done? And so he messages me later that morning. He's like, hey, that was really amazing. I had such a great time. I'm like, oh, sweetie. <laughs> I was going through a thing that was really awesome. You are a lovely human being, but no. <laughs> Don't. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, you know what? That's totally okay. That was like the best moment of my entire year. Like I got to make out with. I'm like, no, no, don't say it, my English teacher. And so, yeah, so that was a ridiculous thing that I did in my, my emerging there that's, you go that's but good. he and i are still very good friends and he's a lovely human being that's but such ownership of it too i yeah. like that it's hilarious it's a Fucking, thing oh god that was my happy poly moment of which i have had many <laughs> <laughs> um okay i think maybe where are we at we're at 53 minutes okay well maybe we can talk a little polyamory in that uh i would love to talk polyamory i think talking polyamory is one of my favorite things to do yeah i like to travel quite a bit because i'm a teacher i get all this time off and so i travel around the country and i love doing open mics open mics with my poetry is one of my favorite things to do and i like it because it's unexpected most people get up there with an acoustic guitar they get up there with a jam band I show up and I ask the host, hey, can I perform a couple of poems? And they always pause, their eyes get really wide, and they're like, yeah, of course you can. Mm -hmm. And so I love it when I'm there with nobody else. I get yeah, up there and I, I riff on polyamory. 
poems in particular, and then I get off the stage. And so, but I always use them as teaching opportunities. I was at a poetry slam back in the fall, yes, um, visiting my partner in, in Vancouver. And so I went to a Vancouver poetry slam. And this was a big deal for me because I'd never competed with my poetry before. Yeah. And so I performed a couple of pieces about polyamory in particular. Are poetry slams generally a competition? They are is always, that, slams uh, are a competition. A I didn't know that. Yeah, so a slam is reading. where you show up and you get a set amount of time and there's three rounds. Oh, cool. And so the first round, you might get three minutes. The second round, if you may, and the random audience members get to rank you based yeah. on their opinion. And then if you make it to the second round, you might get one minute and then your last poem might get five minutes. And then there's usually a small cash award for the yeah, end of that's it. Super cool. It's really exciting. And the po Vancouver Poetry Slam Society is really great because they also will video record you and then post you to their YouTube channel as well with your consent. Is there a poetry slam coming up on Yellowknife? Should I would love one? to do a poetry slam. Yeah, oh, that'd be so good. Creative collective three years ago did a open mic poetry night and I, I read there and Mark I do Rendell poetry and... nights myself like when our poet laureate the parliamentary poet laureate came up to Yale and I, I did a poetry and jazz night for him right. and the top night has an open mic every Thursday night okay. except for tonight and I perform poetry there basically every week because okay, Patrick, you should keep me informed on this because I'd like to read and I'd like I like the slam idea though I me too I like it when it's just poetry because I mean the housemen are amazing Flora and the fireweeds are amazing yeah. I mean there's such good Hans Diggerwolf, I could just watch him play all night, but I, I, I sort of squeeze myself in between, and I'm often one of the only, or, or maybe one of two poets. So I, I like to go and perform these poetry, but I also use them as teaching opportunities, because I think that there's still such a stigma surrounding polyamory. I think that people make a lot of assumptions that we are unkind, that we're cheaters, that we're just people who can't commit, and people don't see polyamory as a valid way of living and loving. And so I talk to the audience about that and I'm like, I think this is important. I think this is a safe space and I'm grateful for to you for listening to me. And here I'd like to share a piece of poetry about polyamory. And I do that and that, yeah, I like to do that everywhere I go. And I'd like to do more of that in Yellowknife. And so I'm really grateful to YK Rocks and to Patrick Jacobson for giving me the stage every week. He always finds space for me. Even if I walk in late and the roster's full, he'll squeeze me in somewhere. That's awesome. Yeah, and I think this, uh... I would say right now the standard, I mean, first off, like, you know, 50% of marriages end in divorce. And mm -hmm. I think the standard model for what relationships are is unethical monogamy or. Yes. Or unethical non monogamy in that, like, I am hard pressed to even know of a relationship that is, you know, long term monogamous that someone doesn't cheat at some point. Absolutely. And cheat is a is like the right word in that context because it's a complete breach of trust and dishonesty. It's breaking the rules. Exactly. You created rules as a relationship and then you didn't follow them. So and for me, my, my story of polyamory is a little bit strange in that I've I believe I've always identified as a polyamorous person. From the time that I was first starting to date at 13 years old wow. I was cheating on partners at every opportunity but I never felt badly about him like well it's not like I don't like you less I just like him too and yeah. so I just I unethically did it up until I was in my mid-20s mid and I never I never felt bad I'm like oh my god what does this say about me that I don't feel badly about this I feel badly that I'm hurting people I care about but I don't feel badly about the act of loving multiple yeah, yeah. people and so then when I met my my ex-husband he i was dating five people and three of them were in different cities and two of them were in the cities that i was out city i was in 
and he that's came a lot that's first off three in different cities that's three long distance <laughs> it's relationships the maritimes. everything's close it was fun that's a lot of work i, I don't i'm not not judging i'm just sure. objectively amazed before, i'm not even like, mad i'm impressed it was before internet was really intensely part of our lives and smartphones were part so of like lives. if you didn't talk for a while not a fine. big deal we talk on the phone maybe once a month i come into town we oh. sleep together we'd celebrate our love and then i'd go back to where i was okay. and it was lovely and so, but I, I met my ex-husband and he, on our second date, said to me, look, if you're going to be with me, you're going to be with me. You need to call all of these other partners and tell them it's done. I'm like, okay, I love you. Sure. <laughs> and yeah. so I called them up. I'm like, I'm in love. And they're like, all right, Robin, you go do you. And it was, it was fine. And so then I was married for, well, I was with this, this person in a monogamous relationship for 12 years and I never cheated. Yeah. And I was, I was very devoted to that marriage and that relationship up until the bitter end. And then when I decided, made the choice to no longer be married anymore, I very much felt like I was going back to the place where I could breathe. I was going back to more my more authentic, authentic way of loving and living. And so I have no intention of ever going back to the place where I can't just love freely. Because I realized that while I was able to do it, it didn't feel right. It didn't fit. And I, I don't want to anymore. And so now in Yellowknife, I mean, I feel like Yellowknife has a huge polyamory community. We are still somewhat closeted, but it's becoming less so the more that I poke and I prod around. And I think that I, I never want to be out to convert anybody, but I am introducing people all the time to the idea that this is a possibility. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, it's not just Yellowknife. I think more and more people are willing to, like, you know, dip their toes in the water and dabble with it. Like, I I myself, like, hesitate and wouldn't take that polyamorous label, but it's like I'm certainly open to the idea mm -hmm. and I've definitely, you know, experimented with it. But it's like, what I, love I think that is becoming a lot more normal. What I love about polyamory is it can be very much you establish the rules and the boundaries for exactly. yourself. It could be like, hey, I have a monogamous partner, but we give each other hall passes. We give each other permission to stray under set criteria that we establish for ourselves. Yeah. Or, you know, we don't call each other anything and just go love all of the people and we'll celebrate each other. And you can tell me if you want to. and You'll tell me because I'm excited for you, blah, blah, blah. And that's sort of where I'm at. Yeah. And I think just a lot of this the way to do relationships is being updated and that like I initially remember hearing people introduce like straight people introduce their partner and being like what why are you saying partner like and then I've slowly stopped started adapting that myself and that like I, I don't like the term boyfriend and girlfriend I don't even mm -hmm. know like what I'm saying when I say that like what exactly parameters are boyfriend and girlfriend and so mm -hmm. like I've switched to partner and um and I don't I, even I, use that unless I have to because of I know I'm dealing with mononormative people and, and limitations. Yeah. I mean, I, for me, I, I have one person in my life who's been in my life now for two and a half years. Yeah. And we very determinedly re refer to each other as my best friend and we date, but we date other people too. Yeah. And that's, it's a bit of a mouthful, but it, it's the most accurate description. Yeah. He is my best friend. We date and we date other people. And that's fantastic. And then I have my people. I have, yeah, this is so-and-so. We go out sometimes. And it's just such an, this is, whole thing is just such an example of you owning it, which is amazing. And like people who, anyone who like listens to this or hears you talk about it and judges, it's like, well, it's just, it's the same as everything else. It's like, this isn't affecting you. This mm -hmm. isn't hurting you. This is making this person happy. Why are you being judgmental? Like, why do you care? Mm -hmm. Like, what, what are you doing? Just, and this used to well, Don't be, waste think, your time. I think this used to be fairly normal. Do you remember back in the days when people used to just date? Yeah. They didn't get on the escalator. 
the, the, okay, I'm now dating you. And so I don't plan on dating anybody else, which means we now are proceeding along these series of steps that were going to take us to this end point. But I mean, it used to be a, a point in, in not that long ago where people would just go on dates and that was okay. And there was no expectation that went along with that. And so that's sort of where I'm at. But at the same time, I love these people and I'm going to continue to date them and go on dates and do things with them for years. And that's okay. And everybody Amen. in my life has, has different roles. And so maybe I'll want somebody to live with again. Maybe I'll want somebody to co-parent my children with. Maybe I'll want somebody who I just have sex with on Friday nights. I mean, these are all different potential <laughs> options for me, but I get to choose. And how exciting is that? Amen. Um, okay. We're, I think we've covered uh, art, mental health, teaching, two wearing multiple hats, polyamory. Um, <laughs> all of the things. Yeah. Anything else yes, you want to talk about before we wrap it up here? No, I think I'm good. I, I think we killed it. I, I, you know, how much can we cover in an awesome. hour? Awesome. High can, five. High Go five. Us. Can you uh, <laughs> ring us the ship's bell out Absolutely. of here? Absolutely. Dispatches from the Scandamaniacs signing off.